Bear Radio. You're listening to September 26. Some say that the German general election in September is the most important election this year. I've been trying to explain what's going on in the elections to my non-German friends, but they don't get it. The CDU might have been Germany's leading party for over a decade, but recent polling suggests that this might be about to change. I'm intimidated, honestly. Hi everyone, this is Jill, and this is the fourth episode of September 26. This is the episode we've all been waiting for. We're getting into the chancellor candidates and the parties themselves. I'm here with Kate Brady, who is a freelance journalist who works for outlets like Euronews and Deutsche Welle. And Julia is also here with us in the room. Say hello. Hi. So you'll hear her piping in now and then. Yes, you will. Hi, Kate. How are you today? Hello. I'm good. A little damp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seems the summer weather's over for a couple of days here in Berlin, but yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So maybe could you tell us a bit about your work here in Berlin? Mm-hmm. So I've been in Berlin for four years. I've been in Germany for over seven years now consecutively. And yeah, I originally studied uh, Germanistic German studies and also French back in the UK. And slowly that just turned into me being here all these years later. I'm now a German citizen as well. And so mm. for the past best part of seven years, I've been covering German politics, German current affairs, uh, mainly for international audiences. So this is a very big question, but what are the three big parties that are at play right now, just to get that out on the table? Well, exactly. As you say, there's three big parties that you really need to be focusing on. Uh, There's the Conservative CSU and CDU already we're getting confusing because mm-hmm. that's two parties <laughs> in one. But they are, so you have two conservative parties, the Christian Democratic Union, that's the party that Merkel's from, and also their Bavarian sister party, the Christian Social Union. But during the elections they run together. So they run with one candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in parliament as well, they sit in one faction or parliamentary group. So they just sit together in parliament as a as a conservative bloc. Then you have the Social Democrats, the SPD, they're also currently in government with Merkel's conservatives. And then you have the Greens, who have seen a real boost in the last two to three years as well. So those are the three big parties that are all running with chancellor candidates right now because they all have a viable chance of getting the chancellery. So the other parties that are running, uh, even though there's another three parties Mm -hmm. that stand a good chance of making it into the Bundestag, that's the German parliament, after September 26th, but they're just running with what's called Spitzenkandidaten or the lead candidates. Uh, So they kind of lead their party's election campaigns uh, in the run-up to September 26th, but they don't have a chancellor candidate. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself. We've been hearing a lot about coalitions throughout this entire election, and that's really what a lot of people are um, posturing about. Do you have any insights or, you know, what are some of those main coalition potentials that we might see in this election? Yeah, I mean, we've still got um, at least a month to go right now yeah. until the elections. And we've seen a real shift in the polls in recent weeks. And it's been really interesting to watch because it seemed for a long time that it was a given that the Conservatives, the CDU, CSU, uh, were going to govern the next government. And that's still looking most likely. 
Um, so at the moment, as the polls stand, the Union, the Union as they're known as collectively, it's the CDU and CSU, they're polling at around 25%. But mm-hmm. when you think back to not so long ago in previous elections, they were in the top 30s um, in previous uh, Bundestagswahl, in previous federal elections. So not a great showing for them right now. They're followed at the moment by the Social Democrats on 20% and the Greens on 18%. So the main thing is, at the end of the day, as you mentioned, you have these coalitions and it's very unlikely, clearly from the polls right now, that any party is going to get a majority. So that always results in a coalition government. And so um, what we've seen in the last four years is what's called a grand coalition from between the Conservatives and also the Social Democrats. And it's called a grand coalition mainly because it's made up of Germany's two biggest parties. They even now are known as the Volkspartei and the People's Parties or the Big Tent Parties, if you will. But they've certainly reduced in scale and Mm. also significance in a way in in recent years uh, because both the Conservatives and the Social Democrats have really uh, lost some of their traditional base uh, due to changes and and the and the boost that we've seen for other parties, whether that's the Greens or also the far right AFD. So we've seen a lot of voters migrating um, away from the traditional big tent parties into some of the, the smaller parties. So. After September 26th, um, it will all be about coalition talks and you have preliminary coalition talks and then you have the actual coalition talks. And these can take anywhere between a few weeks to months. So after the 2017 election, we didn't actually have a new government. A, a coalition deal wasn't signed until mm. March 2018. Oh. Remember <laughs> that the election took place in September 2017. And, and so it's all it's very complicated in terms of... You know, it's all about give and take. Uh, it's a good excuse as well for some parties at that point to give up on some of their election promises and say, well, you know, the other people and the, the other parties in this coalition wouldn't let us have that. But, you know, it's all about what you're willing to give up in order to have that power and be in a governing coalition. And for example, with the CDU having been in power for so long, they probably were very comfortable and assuming for a long time that they were going to be fine. Now they're kind of having to scramble to have these coalitions and for the first time are having to, you know, collaborate with other parties. Not so much for the first time. So for for a long, long time, I mean, the so the CDU, the Conservatives and CSU have governed for I think almost six years, about 57 mm-hmm. of the 72 years of the existence of, to give it its full name, the Federal Republic of Germany. So that's going right back to 1949, oh, both from in terms of what we know as West Germany and also afterwards reunited Germany today. So that inc- that's that entire 72-year period. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, their coalition partner was the FDP, the Free Democrats, the pro-business Free Democrats. Mm-hmm. They, in recent years, have lost significance, especially after the coalition that they had with Merkel's Conservatives. And they actually uh, didn't make it into the Bundestag um, in 2013 and were out of the Bundestag for four years. So that was a massive blow to them. They'd been kind of a mainstay on Germany's political um, scene for for decades and Mm. were often seen as the kingmaker. That's what formed that coalition. 
Instead, you have other combinations. I say you have the the grand coalition. Um, and it's very unlikely that that's going to happen again. And already back in 2017, there was a lot of criticism for the Social Democrats for joining another grand coalition. So just to give you a bit of background, Merkel has had four terms in office and three of those terms have been with a grand coalition mm. government. And one of the criticisms, especially within the SPD as well, and the more left-leaning parts of the SPD and Social Democrats was that basically the SPD has had the life sucked out of it and it's struggled to be relevant. And we've seen that in other countries as well around Europe about what do the Social Democrats really stand for nowadays? Of course, traditionally their voters uh, were the working class blue collar voters. Uh, Strongholds were really in, you know, coal mining, industrial areas here in Germany. And that just doesn't really exist anymore. And at the same time, as Merkel moved the Conservatives nearer and nearer to the centre of Germany's political spectrum and became increasingly less conservative, it made the uh, the SPD less relevant. And a lot of people were asking, what do you actually stand for? So 2017 was really seen as a chance for the SPD to have gone into the opposition, to have not been in a coalition, and to really redefine what it is that they stand for, um, who are the social democrats in the 21st century. And uh, and that didn't happen, because in the end, they formed a, another coalition with the conservatives, but of course, there's the, the the funny thing in German coalition building is that often you need a huge color chart. Uh, there are many, many different co- mm-hmm. possible coalitions. And sometimes the, the different states, we have 16 states in Germany, and they are often laboratories, really, for different combinations. So because each individual state has its own uh, little mini government, as it were. And so they often become, you know, testing ground, really, for, mm. for potential coalitions. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But depending on the different colour combinations you'll hear after the elections you'll hear a lot about uh, maybe uh, Jamaica traffic lights (laughs) Kenya (laughs) and this is all about the different colour combinations Mm. of the party so Jamaica for example would be the CDU CSU because their colour is black Uh, the greens green obviously Mm -hmm. and the and the free democrats would be yellow Um, and then you have uh, the traffic light coalition for example that would be uh, red for the SPD yellow for the FDP and green for Again, the Greens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of different combinations there. And at the moment, obviously, with each poll that's coming out, uh, one of the main points that pundits are looking at right now is, OK, what coalitions could be viable? Because obviously mm-hmm. uh, you have to have a coalition that has a majority. So, yeah. I have a quick question. Yeah. Would you be able to quickly take us through like what it means to have... Um, you know, a centre conservative or mm. how, how do those things play in and then I guess how do then these smaller parties that come in with like really far right leaning ideas affect how then the Bundestag is run? Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe if, you, if we break it down into some of the individual parties of course it's worth saying that if you think of the German parties on a line of the political spectrum on a line they've all become very very close to the middle and that is one of the huge problems that all of the parties are facing. There are too many similarities. And that was one of the problems that the SPD has been trying to uh, figure out, really, for, for several years now. And that a lot of their social policies were being snapped up by Merkel mm. and her conservatives. And so that's why they were struggling to show what are they doing differently nowadays from a conservative party or a conservative bloc, who, uh, which is actually quite close to the centre line. So um, I think it's worth pointing out that 
that, you know, the CDU, so the Conservatives, in a traditional sense, you know, they stand for this fiscal stability, financial stability, but it doesn't really advocate that hostility towards social welfare that perhaps we're used to seeing in some other countries, or or at least from conservative parties, conservative movements in other countries. But what's worth um, pointing out as well is that because of the, there are two key conservative parties, the CDU and CSU, that run together. The CSU, that only runs in Bavaria, they are actually more conservative than the main conservative party, the CDU, um, particularly when it comes to law enforcement and also religion. Because it's worth pointing out, you know, the C in both of these parties is Christian. It's something that has slowly been left behind, but it does rear its head. It's very clear that this is still an integral part of both of these parties. How does that show up in the CSU? So just as an example, it became standard practice in Bavaria, uh, in all public buildings in Bavaria, uh, just a couple of years ago, to have a crucifix in all public buildings. So, of course, that doesn't really scream secular to you. Um, And there's very much that, you know, there's that intertwining there of Christianity, this idea of Christian values being thread through the CDU and CSU. Um, That's less so the case with the CDU, but it's certainly is an underlying factor that is still... Shops are not open on a Sunday. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that doesn't that tell you everything? It you know, really, the, the, really the shops are still closed on a Sunday. Yeah. You also, you know, look at the... Um, Look at the services that are available on public broadcasters as well. Of course, you know, that's not saying that they are an extension of the CDU or CSU, but it says a lot about where the country still is when it comes to its conservative traditional values in that sense. And that is really still apparent in the CDU and CSU's main voter base as well you know most of the we know Germany is a very old country the demographic is very old and it's an aging country and we're starting to see you know that is going to have some long-term effects as well especially as more people start to retire um but that is where most of the CDU and CSU's base is in the over 60 voting group and so that's why and you know and then they're mainstay voters as well and they don't really drift obviously we've Mm. seen some of them leaving and going to the far right what is a mainstay voter like a lifelong voter. A lifelong voter, yeah. Mm. And you see that, you know, for a long time, um, people that were from uh, social democrat strongholds, for example, maybe they had coal miners in the family and were from a, a working class family, blue collar workers. Uh, for a long time, they would vote SPD just out of principle because that's what their family did. But now that's where over the last few years, there are there have become a few more alternatives quite literally in the sense of the <laughs> alternative for Deutschland, alternative for Germany, AFD, that's a far-right populist party, um, the AFD, and then you also have the Greens. And so slowly, you know, they've both been trying to scoop up uh, voters from some of these traditional big tent parties as well. We hope you're enjoying this episode of September 26. If you or your company want to learn how to make a podcast or you want help making a podcast, the Bear Radio team offers a bunch of services to help you get there. Everything from workshops to consulting to full production. If you want to learn more about our services and the ways we can help you, head over to bearradio.org services. Maybe going back a bit, how does a party actually select a chancellor candidate? I remember in June when there was all the buzz about, you know, Annalena Baerbach, for example, and also all of the the scandal and drama of the the CDU uh, chancellor candidate elections. And 
example, I found it really interesting that both Annalena Baerbock and Armin Laschet are leaders of the party itself, but Olaf Scholz is a minister of finance and mm-hmm. a vice chancellor for Merkel. So how do they choose this if it's not de facto the party leader themselves. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly the point. There is no regulated procedure for how a party appoints their Mm. chancellor candidate. And what often happens is that a party's executive board, the party leadership, the general secretary, so like the top brass of a party will decide, they'll nominate that person. Um, And then in some cases, the party delegates will then vote on that nomination at the next party conference or they'll call a smaller party conference. Uh, But there's no set procedure. Uh, When it comes to the SPD, Olaf Scholz has a lot of experience. You say he's the vice chancellor right now. He's the finance minister. He's a former mayor of Hamburg. And he, what was interesting when he was announced actually almost a year ago, he was put forward as the SPD's chancellor candidate, was that not long before that, he'd actually lost out in the leadership race for the SPD. But the SPD, as I mentioned, it has been doing a lot of soul searching. And what they needed was a strong candidate. They needed someone who was well known. And Interestingly, I mean, it's it's so different. You never, ever, ever want to read too much into the polls. But having seen what has been going on in the polls in recent weeks, even, is really, really interesting. So for, for a time, Olaf's... Um, Olaf? Like we're on first name <laughs> basis now, Olaf. Yeah. So for a while, Schultz's popularity in the polls wasn't really having an effect on the SPD's popularity in the polls. But we're really seeing that slowly but surely shift Mm -hmm. again don't want to speak too soon um but given where the spd was heading uh, just a few weeks ago into the lower teens so the spd is back up to 20 percent right now uh, which was just unthinkable a few weeks ago it's not it's not huge it's not you know over the 30 mark where um, a party would would preferably like to be this close to the elections but none of the parties are so that's going to be really interesting right now because the the difference as well between Schultz and the other two chancellor candidates so far is that he's managed to get through this pretty uh scandal free now that's not to say he hasn't had his own scandals previously but somehow that seems to have uh (laughs) have not remained so present in a lot of voters minds right now so you know, uh, as is often the case in, in a lot of countries' elections, is it the best of a bad bunch or, you know, uh, lesser yeah. of two evils or three evils and this, you know. So none of the candidates really seem to be exciting a lot of voters right now. There was that initial excitement about Annalena Baerbock, but again, she's been dealing with her own problems in recent weeks, whether it's questions being raised about her CV or whether it's defending the Greens party manifesto as well, trying to shake off this image of being a Verbotspartei, a party that bans things. That's something that the Greens has been trying to shake off for years. So right now he is polling up top as a chancellor candidate. But again, we have to remind ourselves, German voters do not vote for a chancellor candidate. They vote for a party. So whether or not that will then be transferred or translate his success in the polls, whether that will be translated into success for the SPD, we'll see. But he's been very present don't forget as well, in the last, 
year, 18 months, two years as finance minister, he's been, you know, rolling out the billions of, of economic oh, yeah. aid during the... <laughs> if, if you got a grant as a freelancer, yeah. Olaf, <laughs> our friend Olaf helped with that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and he was very present again in recent weeks after the after the floods, especially mm-hmm. in, in parts of Western, Southwestern Germany, announcing, you know, that there'd be a 30 billion euro financial aid package for people who had been affected by those floods. So he's very present in people's minds right now he has the experience and it seems that any of his previous mistakes they don't seem to be playing so much of a role in voters decision making at the moment at least so we've spoken about Olaf Scholz who is the SPD candidate maybe you could tell us a bit about Annalena Baerbock of the Greens who as you mentioned just now has was at first was just so popular people loved her thought it was amazing that another woman a liberal woman had the chance to become a chancellor but as we've seen in recent weeks a lot of things have come out but other than that what are her main policy stances and how maybe have they become solidified since she first announced her candidacy Hmm. Well, what's interesting about the Greens is that part of their success is that a lot of their original proposals, when they weren't really a significant party, that's all become parts of mainstream politics over the past few decades. But looking ahead specifically to this election, of course, their um, their main key policy even that they are by no means a one trick pony they're no by no means you know a a one topic party anymore but climate uh, protection policy is woven into every aspect if you look at the housing policy for the greens uh, not only are they wanting to increase social housing like the spd as well but they want to uh, support climate renovations to make homes more climate friendly as well giving people a, a small package of money to help improve that so it's like climate does find its way into pretty much all of their policies but yeah they're also calling um, in their current manifesto for an investment offensive they call it so they want to see lots of income increased public spending in everything from faster internet, which, as we know, is a big problem here in Germany. You know, emissions-free buses. They want to improve the rail network and urban development as well, which, of course, even if you take out the climate protection part of that is something that Germany has been crying out for for years. There's been a huge lack of investment in infrastructure. But of course, all of these things, especially just zooming in on rail network development, that is huge for improving Germany's climate protection policy and reducing carbon emissions as well. And of course, it was always a big question, uh, who were the Greens going to put up as their chancellor candidate, as their party leadership, as a co-leadership between uh, Robert Harbeck and Annalena Baerbock. And uh, and then it was announced that it would indeed be Baerbock. And there was initially a lot of excitement, especially from in, in German media, which tends to be a little more left leaning. There was a lot of excitement about what the next government might look like here in Germany. But that quickly waned when there were some uh, discrepancies highlighted in her CV, for example. Um, so the her her party has been forced to basically repeatedly revise that. She said the N word live. Uh, in an in an interview, she was heard while her microphone was still on saying "Scheiße," and it's these, these tiny things. It's not like it's not huge scandals, but it's enough that it, that some of the media has jumped on that, and there has been criticism that there has been a campaign uh, following some of these 
issues to that have targeted Bear Book and, and questions have been legitimately raised about whether or not there would have been the same level of, of so-called scandal had it been one of the other candidates, which, to be fair, has happened and, and there hasn't been as much coverage when you think of, there were uh, questions raised about when Armin Laschet, when he was a, uh, a lecturer at university, whether or not he uh, handed out marks to students that hadn't actually sat an exam, for example, things like this, which is quite similar to on a similar level to someone's CV not being quite so clear. So that kind of added fuel to the fire, really, for critics who were already questioning does Baerbock have enough experience to lead the country? She's never had an executive position. If you compare that to, uh, as we've already mentioned, Olaf Scholz, who's vice chancellor, finance minister, former mayor of Hamburg, uh, Armin Laschet, the conservative candidate. Uh, he's the North Rhine-Westphalia state premier. He had a stint as an MEP, a member of the European Parliament as well. So both of them, them have a lot more uh, experience behind them. But for a lot of voters, they that wasn't necessary. They saw, and many of them still see, Baerbock and the Greens behind her as a chance for something fresh and something and some change in Germany. But as we know, what the German electorate seems to like the most, there's often this excitement about something new and something fresh. But what they like at the end of the day is continuity and what people decide when they have their ballot paper in their hand come September 26th or when they're doing their uh, postal vote. In that moment, that's what it comes down to. And when there is no clear favourite, obviously that influences people's decision as well. Can we learn a bit more about Armin Laschet, how he has differentiated himself from Angela Merkel and how he's similar? So for a long time, Armin Laschet, he's, you know, he's he has this image of the, of the Carnival King. He comes from yeah. the Carnival region uh, in North Rhine-Westphalia. Um, he's the North Rhine-Westphalia state premier, has been since 2017. And he's really ma- not managed to shake off this image of him being this jovial sometimes out of touch, uh, 60-something-year-old <laughs> white German male. So for a long time, he was seen as Merkel's continuity candidate, and that played a big role in the decision by the CDU and the CSU, the two conservative parties, for who should be their chancellor candidate and who they should best run with. But it seems that that is just simply not going to cut it anymore. You know, you hear a lot about how uh, the German electorate maybe wants something new. and uh, We've had 16 years of of Merkel, of the CDU leading leading the government. But of course, we know as well that the German voters say that they want change, but then are actually often reluctant to push through with that. So he does have the he does have the experience behind him. He's the North Rhine-Westphalia state premier. He's had a stint as the uh, as as an MEP in European Parliament as well, um, and he has. In terms of him being a, a continuity uh, or a continuation of Merkel, he very much is more a more of a centre-leaning conservative, um, and that was the big question about where the CDU goes next, both in this election and in the years going forward. So that was a big question when it came to who was a chancellor candidate going to be, and how do they manage to retain voters who could potentially go further right, for example, to the far right AFD. And there was recently kind of a scandal that came out where 
he was caught like giggling as Steinmeier was giving a speech or speaking to press um, over where the flooding was in Germany. Do you think that that scandal has actually had like a large impact on his chances? Yeah. Of course, you know, in, in these polls, we don't see directly what has affected people's change of opinion, but he certainly has slid down the polls and his uh, election campaign has has faltered. It's very clear that he doesn't appear on as many election campaign posters as mm. Merkel did in previous years. For example, here in, in Berlin, of course, you know, I'd say when the German voters aren't voting for a candidate, but if you have a strong candidate and you have all of your uh, beliefs and hopes behind that candidate, then you plaster them or what it is they stand for all over the place. And that's just not the case um, because he, especially over here in Berlin, he is less popular even than in in other parts of the country as well. So, yeah, for sure, after the floods, um, there was a lot of criticism, a lot of people saying, you know, that was his... Grim to say under the circumstances, but a crisis is the time to shine, as it were, as a chancellor candidate. Mm-hmm. He is the uh, state premier of North Rhine-Westphalia, one of the worst hit regions by these floods. And that was his chance to step up to the mark as a crisis manager. And a lot of people said that he simply missed the mark. And of course, at the same time, not only was there this occasion that you mentioned where he was caught laughing in the background of a shot when the German president, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, was uh, addressing locals after the floods. On top of that, his initial reaction as well was also criticised very quickly after the floods. The connection was being made to the floods and the impact of climate change here in Germany. Uh, His initial response was, we're not just going to start changing our whole approach because of a day like this. Which, of course, you know, was it came Oof. up to a, a <laughs> lot of criticism for that comment. He did then make a U-turn saying that we need to do everything we can to combat climate change. But again, when it comes to climate change policy, he is the state premier of North Rhine-Westphalia, a huge industrial state and he, during his time in office as a state premier there, has already come under a lot of criticism for his lack of willingness to really push through any any long-term climate change policies just in his state. Um, and even within the Conservative manifesto for this election, the Conservative Party programme, the party, the CDU and CSU, has come under a lot of criticism for the gaps that have been left when it comes to pricing for carbon emissions, for example. That's, some, that's a huge huge issue across the board for the three main parties in this election and there have been some big gaps about how that pricing might increase in the coming years. Nowadays, smaller parties outside of the SPD and the CDU-CSU are having a bigger role in the elections. Could you tell us a bit more about these smaller parties? So we're off, we're focusing right now really on the three parties that are running with chancellor candidates. The Conservative Union between the CSU, CDU and the the Social Democrats and the Greens. But once we get round to the coalition talks, that's where parties like the Free Democrats could really step up to the mark. They could play the role of of kingmaker and Mm -hmm. make up the numbers. As an example, though, they can also throw a huge spanner in the works. As back in 2017, there were talks between the Conservatives, the Greens and the FDP about a so-called Jamaica coalition, a three-way coalition. And the FDP's leader, Christian Lindner, after some long, long talks, came out. It was a real surprise at the time. And he said, in my opinion, better to not govern at all than to govern badly. 
And that sentence really kind of went down in uh, in very insider German political history. And that is some. And so what's interesting, though, looking to this election is that the FDP know that they can't make that mistake again, because if, if they if they had that chance to govern again, even if it was in a traffic light coalition with the Social Democrats and the Greens, which is their less favoured coalition, they'd rather be snuggled up to the Conservatives. It's likely that they would take on that chance. I seem to recall, and Jill, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we were speaking to Claire in episode one, there was she was quite a sort of vehement about no one would go into a coalition with, with the IFD. Exactly. Is that like do we know that for sure? Yes. Because for the rest of us who are very intimidated yeah. by them and have listened to other podcasts, you know, that have kind of spoken about the rise of the IFD, mm-hmm. it seems plausible, is it not? It's absolutely I at this point in time. It is absolutely impossible. But that in itself is where the AFD can start causing trouble when it comes to coalition building. Because let's just say the AFD got 10%. That 10% of voters might be what two other parties need to give them a governmental majority. But they, but that's missing. And, they, and every party has said that and they have quite clearly ruled out working with the AFD. Okay. And we've already seen how that has become a problem at a state level, at a regional state level in some of the, of Germany's 16 states. So in Brandenburg and Saxony, for example, uh, you ended up with a so-called uh, Kenya coalition mm. between the Conservatives, Social Democrats and the Greens, um, which, you know, is imaginative on one hand, on the one hand and also really quite bizarre when you think of what those how different those parties can be on on many of their party policy lines but they have refused to work with the AFD and they caused a problem the AFD in those states in particular they were walking away with about quarter of the vote wow that's so you know that so when it, obviously at state level, um, it's where well, it's a very different story right now from a national level. Uh, the AFD is pulling at around eleven percent at the moment, but we have seen that they can really cause a problem by taking away voters. So that's why, of course, you know the parties are trying to hold on to voters as well that could potentially go uh, to the AFD because that's just going to make coalition building harder as well. Thank you so much, Kate. We know how busy you and every journalist in Germany is right now, especially the international journalists. So we really appreciate you taking the time. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much to Kate Brady for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you so much to Alice O'Brien, who is our production assistant who helped during this recording. Thanks to my producer, Julia. Thanks, as always, to Epidemic Sound for our amazing music. Thank you to Pirate Studios for the fantastic studio space. And thank you all for listening. The next episode of September 26th comes out tomorrow. We're going to be speaking with James Jackson all about local elections and what's to come in the next weeks. One thing we see at every level of German politics is coalition building. And that means that parties have to work together with the people that they've just been campaigning against. It means that compromises have to be made. It's almost a system where nobody is happy. If you'd like to support other Bear Radio podcasts or just see what else is on the network, head over to bearradio.org or hit us up on social media at Bear Radio Berlin on all social media platforms. We also have a PayPal, which is linked to the info at bearradio.org email address. So if you want to 
you know, send a little something our way. It's always appreciated. Yes, See you soon. <laughs>